Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, Centered from Reality Podcast. Uh, first off the bat, apologies. It's been kind of a chaotic week. A lot of things happening in life, things to figure out. Yeah, so there were no episodes Monday and Wednesday, but today's Thursday. So, hey, you guys got you know got a little break from my voice for a few days. But look, we're back just in time to cover a couple things that have happened. I, I want to touch on... Well, I want to start with Rudy Giuliani, the tragic saga, I guess if you want to call it that, of Rudy Giuliani, some some of my thoughts on the Liz Cheney loss, and then some updates kind of on Trump and this escalating rhetoric. I'm going to try to do a podcast tomorrow. If not, next week we'll be back to normal. But I thought, like, I just couldn't really wait to talk just because, you know, I've been covering or following all these stories all week, and it's just like, Jesus, like, the amount of irony, parody, insanity, pretty much every everything that ends with a Y that describes just the situation now, pretty much. Um, you just can't write this stuff. Like It's almost good that Saturday Night Live is off during the summer because they would have so much to talk about. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but anyways, uh, first off the bat, our, uh, our good buddy Rudy Giuliani has really not been a good... Well, decade for him, but at least we'll say it's been a really bad couple years, you know, from spreading COVID around the country as he leaked fluids from his hair and was farting during trials, no one was under oath, you know, then leading up to an insurrection, coup attempt, whatever you want to call it. He hasn't had a great, um, great couple years, but actually, uh, he's not out of the tunnel yet. It looks like it's uh, really, really getting bad because we've talked about that Atlanta probe into the Trump 2020 subversion scheme, right, where they've they've called on Lindsey Graham to testify. This is the one looking into Trump's attempts, basically, to overturn results in Georgia and in uh, outside of Atlanta area. And yeah, Rudy Giuliani seems to be the target of this investigation, which is not at all surprising. Uh, CNN reads here, Rudy Giuliani, who was told by Atlanta prosecutors that he is a target in their probe of former President Trump's uh, election subversion scheme, appeared behind closed doors for grand jury testimony in the investigation Wednesday. He's declined to comment. His uh, attorney, Bob Costello, has said he will not give any more information, but this is that Fulton County one. And I did see his, uh, (laughs) his attorney has basically said that Rudy's goal is to die a free man. You know, when you first hear that, his, that Rudy's goal is to die a free man, you go, okay, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Um, that's most of our goal. But then it gets, then it gets kind of depressing, actually, because, look, he's 78, I believe. So he's closer to 80 than 70. And if things don't you know, go well for him, especially in this Fulton County investigation, like there is a chance that Rudy goes to jail. And you know, he's, he's clearly not the healthiest. Uh, his transformation over the years, he's, he's clearly not the healthiest looking dude. You know, this, it sounds like he clearly has a pretty late stage drinking problem. He's older. I don't think prison or jail or whatever would be a good, a good situation for him, good scenario for him. And so... When I read that quote, Rudy's goal is to die a free man, there's something sort of tragic about it. And it's not because I think Rudy's a good guy or 
or anything. I mean, he's atrocious. Like, the last, you know, ever since the Trump era, he's really just become kind of an asshole. Excuse my language. But there is something tragic about it. You know, America's mayor, kind of kind of a lesson in somewhat, somewhat good leadership following 9-11. It seems like he just held on to 9-11 too long. Things moved past him, and then he kind of got on the Trump train and has kind of lost it. And it's just a sad, tragic tale of, of somewhat of a fall. Now, he was never like a perfect guy by any means, but the fall has just been dramatic. And it's kind of funny. I think it was last week in one of my classes, we actually watched a lecture on leadership. And it was looking at Rudy Giuliani specifically and how he actually did unify the city, right? But then also he was too focused on his national image. And it's just interesting, that video did not age well because they were actually somewhat positively looking at Rudy Giuliani. And now you see this guy and you just go, what happened? So, yeah, I mean, I, in a sense, he's the perfect case study of, I guess, what happens if you live long enough and become the villain? Because he clearly, I don't know if villain's the right word, but he's something. And so I, I think he should just go back to Four Seasons landscaping and just go from there, basically. But yeah, we'll have to see what happens with this. I, I still hear people say that if something were to happen to Trump, this Fulton County, Georgia investigation could be the one. But moving on, uh, I just want to give some thoughts on Liz Cheney for a minute because, you know, she got her butt kicked yesterday, or not yesterday, Tuesday. But Harriet Hageman, who is the one who beat Liz Cheney bigly, as Trump would say, she apparently is claiming that Cheney did not concede and tried to steal the election. So Hagman beats Cheney in just like historic proportions and then apparently claims that Liz Cheney's not conceded, which apparently is BS. And Liz Cheney has conceded, and today she actually released the concession call. You just kind of have to go, why? Like, what's the point of saying she didn't concede? Like, Hagman won, Cheney conceded. Why is Hagman doing this stuff? It's, it's just weird. And... Apparently, Hagman said it was a two-second call. She was on Sean Hannity, and she's like, Cheney called me for two seconds and did not mention losing, did not mention the election. Um, just first off, can you even say anything in two seconds on the phone? Like, I've never really heard of a two-second phone call unless you call, hear them say hello, and then just hang up. I doubt it. Cheney put it out. She's conceded. I believe it. She even had a speech that I've seen with my own eyes where she talked about losing. So... I don't know what the point is, but I guess when I guess when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail, and all these Trump-backed candidates, they're all running on one thing and one thing only, the big lie. Now, I don't like to judge people by their looks, but Harriet Hagman looks completely insane. Like, I've seen her do speeches, I've just seen her photo, she just has this just nuts look, and again, I... I don't want to, like, I've never met the lady, but, you know, she's incorrectly claiming Liz Cheney hasn't conceded. She's focused on the big lie. The only reason she beat Cheney is because she got Trump's endorsement. Ugh, it's, it's annoying. But anyways, Cheney lost in what I've gathered could be one of the worst losses for an incumbent in a long time. According to CNN in quotes here, as of Wednesday afternoon, she trailed Hageman by 37.4 points, which is just worse than California... Um, Republican, or sorry, Representative Marty Martinez has lost by 37.2 points back in a 2000 blanket primary. 
So, I mean, almost close to 40-point loss. That is not great in a state where you were the incumbent. Now, we all saw this coming, and we all know why she lost, right? I mean, she's not a rhino, first off. It's not true that she's become more liberal or to the left in the last year or two. All of it's a lie. She's very conservative. She lost because she voted for Trump like 94% of the time, but felt that democracy was also important. And she wanted to protect our institutions from the one-man cult. And she had a red line. And she decided to stick to it. She didn't want to cross it for Trump and for party loyalty. And yeah, she lost because of that. Not because she's some rhino. It's ironic because some of these people, like Carrie Lake, for example, in Arizona, they're actually probably rhinos. I mean... They're, they've been like lifelong Democrats. Carrie Lake, huge Obama supporter. She's been, there's like photos with her at like drag shows. And now she's become, you know, this kind of transphobic election denier. Like these are the true rhinos that are just like fake ones. I don't think Liz Cheney's that. She is almost too conservative. So she gave a speech yesterday, which I thought was pretty great. I liked it because she basically, I mean, she compared herself to Lincoln, which I don't think was particularly true. But she did have a good point is that before Lincoln was president, he lost his election. And I think her point is that, you know, it might not look good for me now, but I'm not done. We'll see how that goes down the road. But she also called out her voters. She said something to the effect of, I easily won last time and could have done it again, but I chose not to support the election lies. And, you know, she's basically saying that her base, her base voted her out because of Trump's influence and lies on the election. And she's basically saying this is kind of pathetic. Like, I'm the same person you guys voted for last time. But because I don't believe in the election lie, you guys didn't vote for me. And I think it's pathetic in my opinion. But, you know, as I say a lot on this podcast, that is where we are at. And it's not surprising. Now, I I, I hear a lot of speculation on what is next for Cheney. And, you know, at this point, it's really hard to say. What I do think, and I think it's fairly accurate, is that I don't think she actually plans to run in 2024. I don't think there's an appetite for her on the right, and she could just be a spoiler for like moderates and independents. All, all she could really do is if she ran is help Trump get enough to win a primary. Like, like I've talked about this before, Trump would only need, I mean, close to probably 30 or 40 percent of the Republican vote to become the presidential nominee if he ran again. So if she gets involved in a primary, it would just be chaos, I think. I think personally her crusade is just to make sure that Trump is never president again. I truly think that she wants to do that. She wants to probably spoil Trump's chance, not be a spoiler. Now, I will just add that I know a lot of people are not fans of Cheney's. And I do think it's kind of hilarious how like CNN and MSNBC have jumped on and just started calling her a hero. It is kind of funny. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense why especially people on the left would not like her. You know, she's a neocon. She has quite right-wing views, especially on, like, government spending, abortion. She, like I said, voted for Trump close to 95% of the time, I believe. And I agree. I'm fairly in the middle, and I don't really agree with her politically. My thoughts on her are mainly focused on the fact that... You know, history has shown us that if there's a strong authoritarian or anti-democratic or a liberal movement in a country, there needs to be a strong coalition of those who oppose it. And they need to work together. And the thing is, is like, okay, I, I see some people on the left. I, I was talking to an acquaintance in my, like in Chicago once, and 
I'm like, I think what Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney are doing is good. And he's like, no, they're still evil. They're bad. They're Republicans. And I'm like, okay. But we can't really miss the forest through the trees here because we need people that agree on democracy to at least work together. And then we can debate the other things later. Like Cheney is not perfect, but I guess if she was, say, president, I would not worry to the same effect as if Marjorie Taylor Greene is now the front runner or something. Like there are certain values that we need coalitions to fight for, and we can't be nitpicky right now, to be honest. I personally think it was smart by Nancy Pelosi to put her on the committee because it seems like Cheney has done a really good job of triggering the right. <laughs> you know, we, we first saw that with how Kevin McCarthy made sure to get her removed from House leadership. It seems like probably deep down they're all kind of jealous of her. I've, th I've always thought that. It just seems like that would be the case. I think it is because she has basically said the quiet parts out loud, and she's kind of held a mirror up to the Republican Party. They see the problems, but are also terrified of what they see. They don't like what they see. And she's reminding these GOP leaders and voters that the party is a cult and that they've been conned by Trump. And there's this interesting phenomenon is that the problem with, with this situation is that the conned usually just get angry when they're called out. So, of course, they voted her out. And I think that's what we've seen here. Uh, what's next for Liz Cheney? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I just hope she really does keep busy with making sure that Trump is never president again. And, of course, you know, there's a little time left for more January 6th committee stuff, maybe. But we know that once the midterms are over and if the Republicans take back the House, we're probably going to start seeing the investigations into Joe Biden and into Hunter Biden, and all this fun. So get ready for that. But the last thing I want to talk about is that a lot has happened between the, uh, the DOJ, former President Donald Trump, and the FBI Mar-a-Lago raid. A lot's happened over the last week. Pretty much all the specifics have been covered, so I'll save that for the others that have already talked about it. But I did briefly want to talk about Trump's comments to the DOJ and whether it was him trying to actually cool down the temperature of the situation or indirectly threaten the DOJ and think about calling his mob again. And I want to relate this to a troubling article by Tom Nichols, which I'll get to in a little bit. But So just to add context here, Trump apparently has reached out to the DOJ, or I think, I think he reached out, and then, and then he said in a Fox News interview this. But there's an article from two, two days ago in The Hill, and it discusses, in quotes, Former President Trump on Monday said his aides have reached out to the Department of Justice to offer, in quotes, whatever we can do to help, saying, in quotes, the temperature has to be brought down. And this is after a spike in threats against law enforcement following the FBI's search of his estate. In quotes, he also says, whatever we can do to help, because the temperature has to be brought down in the country. Trump then told Fox News, if the temperature isn't, terrible things are going to happen. So there's a lot to unpack with that statement because it's really loaded and, you know, both sides can kind of take it how they want. I've heard people like Tucker Carlson, many others on the right, say that this is Trump clearly trying to calm things down and see how he can help to stop the violence and anger that is growing. Now, maybe to an extent, you could see where that's coming from because if he wants to run for president and he's going to need to appeal to at least some hesitant, skeptic, moderates, whatever, 
obviously calling on violence to the FBI and all this stuff isn't a good look for him. So politically, it would be smart maybe to calm things down. And to these people, you know, Trump wants to do the right thing. He's seen the threats to the FBI and the attempted attack in Cincinnati last week, and he's decided that he can play a role in getting his base to calm down. And I'm not going to lie, when I first saw this statement a few days ago, I thought maybe this was the case, and he had a moment of clarity. So, you know, for a brief moment, it felt nice to think that maybe he cared, maybe he thought this is the right thing to do. But I, I, I don't know, because the problem with that line of reasoning is that it would kind of go against everything he's done and everything we know about him over the last decades, you know, pretty much his whole life. And I don't know about you guys, but he's not usually the guy who tries to bring down the temperature. We learned during the January 6th hearings that he had awareness, at least to some extent, that the mob was angry, potentially armed, and wanted to harm. And he surely did not calm the temperature down at that po uh, moment, right? Instead, he seemed to inflame things and enjoyed what was happening. Furthermore, to this day, he's fine with defending his image over that of our democracy, and he'd rather go down fighting or having his people fight rather than bring the country together. So I don't believe that all of a sudden he wants to help slow down the political tension and escalating rhetoric. I just don't think that. And so instead, I think it's clear that this is some sort of indirect threat. Because if we look at his rhetoric over the last week, it's, it's been quite inflammatory, right? He's attacked the FBI, claimed many false conspiracies. Some people have said stuff was planted. And he's, you know, basically said this was an attack on him and his supporters and that we live in a banana republic. He's also said many times that people are angry about what is happening and they should be. So the more I look at this statement when Trump said whatever we can do to help because the temperature has to be brought down in the country, if it isn't, terrible things are going to happen. I cannot help but think that this is him saying that if they keep investigating him, they should be careful because his base, his base could basically get violent over it. And this is kind of mob-like threats, right? It's kind of like the, hey, you better be careful. If you dig too deep into this, things could turn out poorly for you. Sorry for the bad accent. I had to do it. But that's what it feels like to me is that, you know, hey, you better watch out. Something might happen. And the problem here, too, is that we have seen with the big lie, with January 6th, that Trump can really stir stuff up, right? And a lot of commentators, myself included, have worried that prosecuting Trump could affect his base or make the political climate even worse in the country. And the more I think about that, though, I wonder if this is somewhat of a chicken or an egg argument problem, because would there be escalated political tension because of the investigation or because Trump says there should be. And it's something that I, I do worry is because it seems like the only reason a lot of people are worried about prosecuting him for this is because they're worried about what people in his base would do. And that's troubling because it's kind of authoritarian and almost fascistic because I've read a decent amount about Mussolini specifically, kind of Hitler, but more Mussolini. I'm not directly saying Trump is either one. But Mussolini specifically was able to rile up the crowd and relied on mobs to kind of instill fear into the general population because you don't always need to suppress everyone. You just need to project enough violence and fear so that the opposition or the moderates just don't speak up or stay home. And it's playing with fire when Trump knows that certain people in his movement are willing to be violent over this. 
yet he still seems quite inflammatory. You know, it's it's just problematic. And my my worries here kind of go right into a well-written recent article from Tom Nichols in The Atlantic. It's called The New Era of Political Violence is Here. Tom Nichols is great. And it basically discusses how the rising tensions or danger are not this organized civil war, as some people want to talk about, but it's individual Americans with deep resentments and delusions. Kind of the individualistic terror model again. And Nichols discusses Basically, Trump's rhetoric towards Merrick Garland is an America on fire. And Nicholas ponders about the threats to law enforcement and then writes in quotes here, we should no longer wonder if we can avert a new era of political violence in the U.S. It's already here. In the article, Nichols discusses how, for example, the American Civil War was about differences in ideology, slavery, states' rights. He notes that there was a a geographical division, right? And it was a It was about way of life and racism, and it was kind of easy to separate and delineate the issue. He says, whatever is happening now, though, is not this. Basically, it's not a conflict between militaries led by generals. Instead, it is by people who do not believe in anything, and if they do, it's a delusion. He writes in quotes here, All of us face random threats and unpredictable dangers from people among us who spend too much time watching television and plunging down internet rabbit holes. These people act individually or in small groups, will be led not by rebel generals, but by narcissistic wannabe heroes, and they will be egged on by cowards and instigators who will inflame them for the safety of a television or radio studio. Later in the article, Nichols brings up some good points about how these people use terms like liberty or freedom, but in reality, it's about racial anger, racial grievance, and perceived threats uh, from conspiracies about dark forces in the government. And... I think the most disturbing part about what Nichols says, and it's something that I've always thought but did not articulate well, is that people may know that Trump is guilty or breaking our democracy or that they've been conned, but there seems to be a growing sentiment from his base that they just don't really care. This is because he's made their lives interesting, he's made them feel important, and he's basically made their issues more important than democracy itself. And He's taking their frustrations and basically just ran with them. He, he's kind of an avenger or a demigod to them, and I think that's why there's a willingness to kind of go illiberal, because he's made their issues and their status more important than our system. And so I, I think people are kind of okay if he breaks the rules to do it. And Nichols calls this a moral void and discusses basically how when Americans decide that a cult of personality matters more than a commitment to democracy— we risk becoming a lawless autocracy. And I think this is happening slowly but surely because a permission structure has already been created that is about protecting Trump instead of protecting the democratic values that ironically got him elected in the first place. And it all comes back full circle to Liz Cheney, who just spoke up against this, right? And yeah, we're going to have to see where this goes, but I, I do worry that since the Mar-a-Lago raid, the anger is just growing and growing. So anyways, shorter episode today. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, all that jazz, Spotify. I'll be back. Take care. Peace. Peace.